you would, turn your Bibles to the book of Romans, the book of Romans chapter number 12. Have you ever gotten something that was misleading? It, it, had, it had a package, it had, it had information on the packaging that suggested it was one item, and when you opened it up, you got something else. Some, uh, I, had, I had a little bit of that when I moved into the uh, place I currently live at. There are light switches inside of my apartment that do not actually do anything. <laughs> I took the panel off, and they were literally not connected to anything. <laughs> the white ring behind those light switches at all. They don't do anything. The entire thing is misleading. <laughs> well, here Paul is warning the Christians at Rome about the fact that they could be misleading in how they live their Christian life. In Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 1, it says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, they present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is, a, what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, this therefore is pointing back to chapter 11, where he was talking about Israel. Israel had rejected God and was being set aside. And he is saying, and now he's going in here, and he's like, if you guys aren't going to listen to God, he will set you aside too, because if he was willing to set aside his own people, who are you? That he's going to just let you get away with doing whatever and still be his people. But that requires us to not be conformed to this world. So I want to look at these two commands in verse number two. Be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. These are not two commands, but actually one command and two sides of that command. They are the same command, just different ways of looking at it. And so we're going to look at the two commands, and I, I'm a storyteller, so I like to view things and take things apart the way a story is taken apart. So that's how we're going to look at this, is we're going to use kind of the diagram you would use if you're taking apart a story. In a story, you have the protagonist, you, who is the good guy. You have the story goal, that is what the protagonist is trying to achieve. You have the antagonist. You have the consequences for failure, that's what the antagonist is trying to achieve. You have allies. And finally, you have the what is the takeaway, the learning. This in a sermon is obviously going to be your propositional statement. And today I want us to see that we must, not be conformed to the world if we are to remain powerful in our ministry. Uh, Saturday night after I got home uh, from work, I know I watched the news a little bit, see, see things going on. And one of the things I actually saw was a very liberal pastor who a clip of his sermon got put on to um, a new broadcast. And in the clip, he called God gay, trans, non-binary. He later then said, you are God, and God is you. And I was, that, and that right there is the height of conforming to the world. You, you try, you, the world wants us to bring itself into the church, and they want us to look at the Bible, to look at God through that. One of the um, 
Anger's actually said, that is a problem. They, he actually rightly pointed out that the reason why churches fail is because they change the definition of God. Instead of man being made in the image of God, he said, there are people who, when they compromise, make God in the image of man. So we're going to first look at this from the side of the antagonist. Be not conformed to this world. So who are the antagonists? What we first see, the world is an antagonist to us. The world system is against God. This system hates God. When he's talking, talking about the world, he's not talking about the people in the world that God loves, the lost souls that God loves. He's not talking about the physical planet. He's talking about the world system that is staunchly against Christianity, against Christ, against God. This is seen in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, where he says, Love not the world, neither things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. We are not to love the world. We are not to be friends with the world. But the world is not our only antagonist we see. This word for conforming here, to conform here is used only in one other passage in the entire New Testament. And that passage is actually in 1 Peter chapter 1. And that is found in verse 14. It says, Obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. The fashioning there in verse 14 is the same as the conforming here in Romans. Peter is getting at, no, no you're, you're saved. Don't, don't try to add the, what your flesh, what your lust wants onto Christianity. You are to be distinct from that. This conforming carries with it the idea of putting on makeup or some, or some kind of covering to make the outside look different from what is actually beneath, to put on a facade that is not what is actually there. See, we, we know who the, so we can see who the antagonist is. The antagonist is the flesh. It, the antagonist is the world. But what is the antagonist trying to do? What, what is the goal? Well, that is to make us like the world, to stop us from being transformed by God, to uh, limit the power of the church. The world constantly talks, talks about, to us about we need to find a way to reach the masses. Well, if you actually go to and talk to a secularist who is in marketing, they'll tell you something different. James uh, Milligan wrote a book in the 70s called Your Message Matters on Marketing. He has two things he talks about. He talks about the fact that you can build a crowd with the way you market, or you can build a following with the way you market. And in this, he says, the crowd, they're fickle. They, they're, gonna, they're going to be with you, but they're going to leave you because they're going to find a greater pastor. You can have them, but they're not going to be loyal to you. You can build a following. This takes effort. This takes time. This takes diligence. And it's not going to be nearly as large as your crowd. But they're loyal. And you can actually see this through the Gospels. Christ through miracles generated a crowd. But he didn't keep the crowd. He didn't want to keep the crowd. He kept the disciples. He kept the smaller group that actually followed him, that became followers of him. 
This group was much more loyal to Christ. This group continued after Christ. And the group formed the first church in Jerusalem. See, going after the crowd isn't the way you reach the world. Now, we, 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 we seek to reach different people, and we seek to reach a large multitude of people, but you got to start by building a following on the Bible, on Christ. They have to follow God. But they know that if they can get it to water down the message, get it to try to go for that crowd, they've weakened the church. So how do they go through this? Well, I could go through and I could mention a bunch of things, but I got 20 minutes, so we're going to mention one. Uh, so the one I'm going to go after is media. That was the biggest one, I, in my personal opinion. The world tries to weaken Christians through media, through Hollywood. I, 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 I kept the illustration of the story for a very important reason. I'm going to now illustrate that lesson to learn in certain movies that have come out recently. And I'm actually picking ones that I know people in here have seen because I've heard people here talk about them. I know. And the reason I did that is because I have to explain anything if I do it. So the first one I picked is we're going to go with Star Trek. Sorry. We're in Star Trek first. So Star Trek has a very clear anthropology to the entire saga from the original series all the way through anything they're making today. I don't even know what they're making today. Uh, but everything they made... Everything I've seen always had the same anthropology to it. Man is ultimately good. And the only evil men are evil because of bad circumstances. That is the anthropology that Star Trek teaches throughout all of it. They, uh, they actually promoted uh, the gay movement and the, and the LGBTQ movement as far back as the late 80s, early 90s with the rebooted series is after the original series. And they do it subtly because they don't want to make it pronounced. But as you continue, <clears throat> the next big one you can actually look at is, and they do that by adding to things. Well, this one takes away. In the movie, Our Finest Hours, they do take away something. In the movie, Bernie Weber saves the crew, and it is done through, uh, through courage, bravery, and a decent amount of luck. If you actually read the story of Bernie Weber, Bernie Weber is a PK. His father was a pastor. <clears throat> he was a Christian. And when he lost his uh, navigation and communications, he chose to continue through prayer, not through just guessing. He asked God where to go, Picked a direct, uh, followed the direction, and eventually found the crew and saved them. And he even credits the fact that he made it back to land on God, saying that the boat was sinking and, the, and he was able to save 32 of the 33 men on board the back half. He said if God had allowed him to save the 33rd man, all of them would have died in the sea because the ship was sinking. His boat was designed for 12, I, he had 36 on it at the end. 
which if you're, if you're that far overweight, you're, you're going to sink a boat, especially in heavy seas. But that was one where they changed the story. They cut God out of the story because they didn't want to emphasize the fact that he was doing things through God. Captain America does the same thing. It, he teaches, the movies all teach good morals. But they teach good morals without God. Good morals without God ends up leading to no morals. Uh, the movie The Time Changer actually addressed that. It was actually, that was a Christian film. I'm not even sure when that one came out. But the entire premise of that film was the fact that teaching morals without God will lead to this. So then what's the solution? Not watch movies? Well, that would be a solution. It's, I know my audience. That's not going to work in this generation. <laughs> <laughs> and you might say, wow, that, 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 that's not brutal. I was like, well, in this generation, you really can't avoid the marketing. You can't avoid the media. It, it may be against you, but you can't avoid it. So instead... The challenge is to pay attention to what is it trying to influence you to do? How is it teaching you? What is it trying to get you to do? And how will you respond to it? See, sometimes you, we are commanded to be in the world but not of the world. And being in the world, you, you kind of sometimes end up having to accept the fact that you're going to get influenced. But how you deal with that influence is your choice. So, we've seen the antagonists. We've seen who, it, who they are, what they want, and how they're going to do it. But, there's a protagonist. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. I should mention that the, both the commands are passive. We don't, we're not the ones doing them. We're the ones allowing them to occur or not allowing them to occur. So, the renewing, the, so the transforming. This word is actually used four times. Twice in the Gospels to refer to the transfiguration of God, and once in Romans, once in 2 Corinthians. The word has the idea of bringing to light that which is already inside. So you can only be transformed if you're already saved. This uh, actually, in the case of the transfiguration, would promote a veiled theory for those who are in Christology and writing that paper. That, there's a free plug for you right there. Um, <clears throat> but do you see that it's a change from the inside going outward? Now, in first and second Corinthians, uh, chapter three, Paul spends the entire chapter talking about how Israel is veil, has a veil over them, hiding the uh, true understanding of the scriptures they've been given because of their unbelief. But that we no longer have that veil over us as saved believers. And in verse number 18, it says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed to the same image from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of the Lord. So, at that point, he's referring to beholding in the glass, beholding in a mirror, the glory of the Lord, through the Bible, would be the 
understanding gotten from the fact that that's what's being talked about the entire time. So we, we see God through the Bible, through us studying the Bible, we see his reflection in the actions he takes throughout scripture. And as we see that, as we focus on God, if we study God, if we see who God really is, the Holy Spirit inside of us is the one that is transforming us. So, in, uh, in uh, Psalm 119, David even references this. He says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according to thy word. How, 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 how is a man supposed to change from being here to being over there closer to God? The word of God changes him through the power of the Holy Spirit. So then, back in Romans, then what, what, what's the section about renewing your mind? Well, that's how you allow. So the conforming, it's not being conformed, and the being transformed are what, we're supposed to, are what we're supposed to do or allowed to be done. How do we do that? By renewing our minds. By changing the way we look at things. We're not supposed to look at things the way we used to work, look at them, the way that we looked at them when we were unsaved. We are to look at them through a new lens. This is something that is sometimes difficult for us to do. We, we like to get set in, our, in patterns. We all have habits. I, can, I could give you a list of habits I have. Some of them I've, I'm, I'm trying to break. Other ones I'm like, I, these are ones I established for a very particular reason. They're very good. But we all have habits. Some of us, I, I, I'm one of the people some can tend to wait till probably about two, or two weeks before a paper's due to actually start writing it. And, you know, there actually are papers I wrote, to you, uh, I wrote for you the night before I gave it to you. <laughs> Believe it or not. Um, I don't think I got good grades on them, but I wrote them. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and honestly, that, that, that's a character trait. That, that's a habit we learn. How did we learn? To change a habit requires a focus. It requires us to say, okay, at this point, I, am, I have a decision to make. I am going to go this way or I can go that way. <clears throat> Which way am I going to do? What decision am I going to make? I mean, and, you, and we can hit ourselves with certain, with certain lies when we're trying to change our habits. We can say, well, because I failed here, I obviously can't succeed, and so I'm going to just give up. That's not really a good answer. Peter failed, and God said, get back up. Go feed my feet, my sheep. Go, 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 go and preach. And he went on to preach Pentecost. He went on to write First and Second Timothy. Well, I, well yeah, another, you can get another lie. It's like, well, this decision doesn't really matter. This one, I was actually reading a book on on uh, habits, and the person uh, said that they called this the uh, penny uh, delusion. Every decision you make is a penny that you stick in either the pile to, uh, to reinforce your current habit you're trying to break or to establish a new habit. One penny doesn't really make a whole lot of difference, but if you keep adding one penny to the wrong side, that adds up really quickly. 
And eventually, you have way more trying to reinforce a bad habit. And you get changed. You get conformed to the world. You, you, don't, you don't make the giant leap all at once. You don't leave here and the next day end up like the pastor I told you about at the beginning of the sermon. No, that is you take one step at a time and in 30 years, maybe you're there. You didn't take the entire leap all at once. And the same way when you're trying to break those habits. You may start and say, I don't read my Bible consistently today. And I want to start. Well, you may get two, three, four days and then have a setback. Maybe miss a day. Well, then you just got to keep going. You go, you're like, all right, I missed that day, but I'm going to do this day, today. And I'm going to continue from today. And that is, honestly, how you really do change the way we think. It requires a choice to, change, to, to look to the Bible. It requires, it was, it's not easy to change something. And we, we tend to lot want to do the easy things. Um, I sent a podcast to Mrs. Thompson about reading and how we teach people to read. The U.S. uses a very bad method that honestly does not work. When asked why we still use it, because it's easier to use. It doesn't work, but it's easier for the teacher. It, it, it looks really impressive when the kid's in the first grade. The kid can't read, though, in the sixth grade. And so it doesn't work. But the other option, the old option, the option actually works, requires the teacher to actually do work. And that's the problem. We don't want to do the work, but we have to do the work. So in conclusion, we need to be aware of the dangers around us. We not only need to be aware of them, but we have to make a decision about how we're going to handle them. And from that decision, we can only reach that decision by continually looking to the scriptures to see God. To see who he really is so we can be transformed more like him and less like the world around us. And I want to leave you with that challenge. Don't change God. Change you.